we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Is God in the house tonight or what? Right this morning. Yeah, God's in the house. Welcome God in the house. All right, you may be seated. And uh, so thank you for joining us that are here in worship. I know I've heard a lot of folks coming back on site. I met some folks that were here for the first time after joining us online. I know we have some folks that are online joining us right now in this way, and we welcome all of you uh, to this place. If you are on site and uh, you've been a long time or first time or second or third time we have not met, you've not met any of the staff, we would love to meet and connect with you. Just have a short hello back and forth. It would be our privilege. And Again, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey today. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to find Proverbs chapter 9. If you have a pen or you have your phone, you have notes, you have a piece of paper, uh, digitally, I don't care. This is going to be one of those mornings, perhaps, you want to take some notes. This is going to be one of those days. I'm going to give you lots of information, a lot of things I think some of you are going to want to apply to your relationships, okay? We're going to be very biblical, but very practical, and a lot of stuff you can take home and actually use. So I'm just preparing you for that. Uh, in advance. Let's uh, open our minds uh, in prayer and our spirits. God, we open our minds and hearts as we open this thing called the Bible. It is your word. It is your truth. It is your guidebook. It is your feedback to each of us. And so we're asking God for you to speak into each of our lives, into each of our families, into our workplaces in ways that will bring about transformation, that will bring health and positive change in our relationships. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the fourth week of a series we're calling Six Feet Apart. And we're talking about relationships and boundaries and how all those work together. And we began this whole series on this premise right here. And this is the premise. That relationships are the greatest source of joy in our lives. And are the greatest source of pain. So if this is true, we have got to learn how to love real people in real life. I'm not talking about loving people while you're in church or while you're in your house watching online. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about how to love real people in real life with real love. And that's really hard. And the reason it's hard because people break boundaries. People cross the line. And we talked about the importance of boundaries and why it's so understanding our own boundaries and respect other people's boundaries And we've been talking and learning about that. But when you cross that boundary line, bad stuff happens. It happens in families. All of you have experienced it. We've all experienced it. And because of that, last week we learned just how important forgiveness is. That any healthy family, any healthy relationship, any healthy work relationship, any healthy friendship 
Forgiveness will be a continuing, ongoing dynamic if it's going to be, because we're always, we're broken, we're, we cross boundaries, we mess up, and people cross ours, and we react wrong, and bad stuff happens. And not only that, if you live in a family, we learned last weekend, Chris did a great job, I think, teaching this point. If you live in a family where you have this ongoing dysfunction, and it's being passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. The key, a key in stopping that is understanding forgiveness and forgiving and stopping the trend. Now, this morning we're talking about a subject that's very dear to my heart. We're going to look at the Word. We're going to share about it. We're going to talk about how to give feedback to someone, productive feedback, when they violated a boundary. How do you do that? How do you restore the relationship? How does it get better? I don't care whatever the kind of relationship it is. And this is dear to my heart, not just because the Word talks about it so much, but because my dad is the expert on this subject. And if I had any wish or prayer right now, I would be able to bring my dad back out of his dementia, out of that him he's 91, and bring him back to this spot and have him share with you his wisdom and his knowledge of of. 40 years of ministry, 30 years of chaplaincy, mental health, working with people in criminally insane, addicts, families who had this continual problem, and he could just pour into you as he's poured into me. I can't do that. But I can share with you a little bit this morning on what my dad has poured into me over the years and all of his life experiences, his experience in the Word, and I pray somehow somebody grabs hold of something and it is a blessing to you. And in a way, I'm kind of dedicating this message to my dad uh, because no one could teach it like him. Uh, so this morning I stand, in a sense, in my dad's stead. So we're talking about how do you give somebody productive feedback. And I primarily want to talk to people in the room and those that are online that are joining us that are nice, loving, responsible people. That's who I want to visit with. And I want you to know that that means there's a lot of people we're going to have a conversation with because most of the people that pathway are nice, loving, responsible people. And I'd just like for you to know that if you're a nice, loving, responsible person, you have a problem. And your problem is because you're a nice, loving, responsible person, you think everyone else is going to assume, you're assume they're all going to respond the same way you do when somebody breaks a boundary in your life. And they're not. Let's assume you're a nice, loving, responsible person. And let's assume I'm a nice, loving, responsible person. And let's say I step on your toe. And it hurts. But because you know I'm a nice, loving, responsible person, you just give me gentle feedback. You say, hey, listen, Rick, I'm going to tell you something. You stepped on my toe. It really hurts. Would you stop doing that? And you expect me, because I'm a nice, loving, responsible person, to respond in the same way and go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I did not know that. I apologize. I didn't mean to do that. I get, thank you for telling me. I will not do that again. Because if you're a nice, responsible, loving person and somebody breaks a boundary, if somebody trespasses against you, as we talked about last week, someone trespasses against you, you think they're going to be like you and go, man, 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 I am so sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. I didn't mean to come across that way. I'm so glad you gave me that feedback and you told because I really want to get better and I don't want to do it again. If I do it again, please tell me. Now, if you're a nice, loving, responsible person, you really have a problem. 
Because not everybody's going to respond to you the way you would. In fact, the Bible and all mental health research agrees that you can almost kind of identify people. You can predict them. You can predict that people are going to respond in three different ways. And if you respond to everybody the same way, these people in your life that are violating your boundaries, like, oh, you're going to give them feedback, and they're going to hear it. They're going to be loving and respond. They're going to adjust their lives. We're all going to be good. You have a rude awakening coming if you've not yet figured this out. So here are the three ways you can predict that people are, and the Bible talks about this, mental health, psychiatry talks about this. My dad has taught me this from his time in the Word and all of his education. Three different ways. These are not labels. These are categories or behavior. The first one is the wise. The second one is the foolish. And the third one is the evil. The wise, the foolish, and the evil. And these are categories by which all of us predictably will respond when someone hurts us or violates a boundary in our life. Now, we're going to talk about each one, biblically what it has to say. I'm going to give you a description of each one. Then I'm going to give you what is the biblical strategic feedback to someone who violates that boundary, who are wise, someone who is a foolish, and someone who is evil. Okay, that's where we're going. So first of all, let's talk about the wise, the very first one in, in your notes. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9, and I want you to think about someone who you think is uh, in your work life or your family life that you think is wise. Just think of somebody you, that you think is wise. Think about somebody. You might want to write even down, somebody that is wise. Here's what the Bible has to say. The wise person is not necessarily the smartest cookie in the room. The wise person is not necessarily the most brilliant or intelligent. But the Bible is very clear. The wise person is someone that when God's truth is revealed to them, when someone gives them gentle, loving, kind, godly feedback, when somehow the light of God's love and God's truth shines upon a flaw or something in their life, in your notes, the first thing they will do, the wise people, they adjust themselves to the truth. They adjust to the truth. Such as, let's say somebody comes up to me, you come up to me, and you tell me, you know, Rick, today I'm looking at you, and you kind of acting and looking like you got a burr under your saddle. And I go, no, I don't. You must be on medication. You must have stayed up too late or something. But what if five different people tell me the exact same thing? I better check my saddle. I better adjust myself to the truth. Right here in your notes, uh, chapter 9, I mean, the Bible, chapter 9, Proverbs, verse 9. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Why are they wiser? Because they adjust themselves to the truth of God's Word and the honest feedback that somebody has given me. Now, people who are wise are not the smartest people, the most intelligent. They are the most humble. Wise people are humble. In humility, they're able to receive information that's painful, information they don't want to hear, and they accept it into them. They just don't push it aside. 
Now, in a mental health way, there's two sort of technical terms you call this. You call this assimilation and accommodation. And assimilation is when I, as a human being, assimilate or receive information I do not want to hear into my life. Accommodation is when I look at it, I evaluate it, and I go, you know what, this right here I'm going to set aside, but this right here, I'm going to adjust my life because I believe this is true. I need to start behaving or doing something in a different way for the benefit of that other person and our relationship. People who are wise, they just adjust themselves constantly, know how to evaluate and accept things, and they adjust their behavior. Now, in the scriptures here, before I read the second one, look right here, uh, end of chapter 8, verse, excuse me, verse 8, chapter 9. Rebuke the wise, give feedback to the wise, and what does it say? They will what? They will love you. In your notes, wise people, when giving feedback, are grateful. They're grateful for the feedback. When wise people get information that they need to know about to get better, to improve, they say, man, thank you so much for telling me that. I really needed to know that. Now, anybody who's a leader of a company, a business, or a team, or an organization, or anybody that's, that's a part of an athletic team, and you got some folks on your athletic team, or maybe it's your, you're trying to accomplish a goal. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a family. One of the hardest things to do is to give someone feedback that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear it. Everybody agree with me on that? That's hard. You're a boss, you're a leader, you're a coach, you're a teacher. That's a tough thing to do. I had this responsibility uh, to sit down with a staff person and have a hard conversation in the spring. I was not looking forward to it. I did not want to do it because I knew it was going to be painful for them to hear the information. I'm a relationship guy. I didn't know how it was going to go over. I kind of avoided it for a while. And then I finally went into their office, sat down and said, okay, we need to talk about this. I sat down. Man, was I shocked. Instead of getting defensive and getting mad, they said, Rick, Pastor, thank you for giving me that. Man, I needed, I, I needed to know that. Thank you for telling me. I went, really? Yeah. It was a joy-filled experience. Instead of being this conflict and all this pain, why? Because they were wise. They were someone who welcomes it. And the scripture says you give a wise person feedback, they'll love you even more because they know you really care about them. If you give it to them in a godly, loving, gentle, truth-filled way. Way. Chris Bohan taught last weekend. Almost every single time that Chris Bohan teaches, you know what he does? He comes to my office and he says, Rick, can you please tell me one thing I can do to get better from last week's message? Wise people seek feedback. They ask for it. They look for it. They appreciate it. They value it, and they'll love you for it, the Scripture says. Letter C, wise people, they grow when they receive feedback. In a company, on a team, in a school, in a classroom, in a business, in a family, you, want to, you can develop a wise person you can train them. You can pour resources in them. You can just kind of invest time and energy. Why? Because they want to grow, and they're going to grow. You just can. 
That's just the way it works. You show me an organization, any sort of organization, that is a fact that is true. In marriages, in friendships, in business partnerships, wise people grow towards each other. They don't grow away from each other. Why? Because they have learned how to give godly, loving, gentle, truth-filled feedback and to receive godly, loving, truth-filled feedback and receive it for what it is. They grow. They flourish. So in your notes right here, uh, here is the feedback strategy for people like that. Here's how do you, we have a problem with someone who's wise. Very simply, you just talk to them about problems. You just talk about it. It's very simple. You talk about it. It's a strategy. Hey, listen, we've got a problem here. We need to talk about it. And you talk about it. And you talk about it in and out and back and forth. No yelling, no screaming, no slamming doors, no pouting, no name calling, no cussing, none of all this defensive stuff. You just talk about it. You with the wise person back and forth, and they'll go, thank you. Thank you. That's a good conversation. Let's get better. Let's get stronger. We want to do it. You can do that. Church, it is possible for you to accomplish this and learn how to do this. You can. You show me any business, any company, the wise person on the team is the person who's going to receive feedback from their supervisor, and they're going to grow, they're going to grow, they're going to achieve, they're going to go to higher levels, they're going to be promoted, given more authority, more responsibility, more pay. Why? Because they're open to learning and growing and getting feedback, and they're going to excel. You show me any marriage, you show me any two people that are dating, if both of them are wise, they can talk about sensitive problems. Talk, not yell, not scream, not complain, just talk. They can talk about financial issues, sensitive financial issues. They can talk about sensitive parenting issues, about how to and how not to. They can talk about the in-laws and the outlaws without it being a big old They can talk about intimacy issues and just talk about it. Why? Because they're wise. They're full of the wisdom of God's word and God's love. Learn how to love real people in real life with a real love in a real way. And it just gives a foundation for a meaningful relationship. Church, you show me people and parents. Parents, it's the same with parenting. Listen, parents. Some of you spend your whole life trying to control your kids. Wise parents get to a stage in their parenting where they realize their kids get old enough and they're different at different ages. You got to parent each kid differently. I could do a whole message just on this concept. And the scripture is clear about this. About if you have your thumb on your kid all the time trying to control the situation, you're just ruining them. You got to be aware when your kid is old enough to give feedback and information and let them make the adjustment themselves because some of your kids are wise enough to go oh really I do that I act that way it makes this happen oh thank you for telling me mom thank you for telling me dad I'm going to adjust my behavior I'm going to grow thank you for telling me and wise is the parent who notices when that changes in their kid same as your relationship with God say the word confession say confession confession say confession the word confession is a relational word between you and God, between me and God. In fact, the word confession literally means to agree with, which means I've been given feedback. 
And I agree with the feedback. God, when I read your word right here, I read what your word has to say. I am not living according to your plan for my life, for my marriage, for my friendship. I'm not loving. I'm not forgiving. I'm not doing this. I agree with that, God. It is true. I receive that feedback. I confess to you that's true. And I'm going to repent and adjust my life to line up with this book as much as I can, God. Would you please receive that repentance? That's what wise people do. Wise people. You can give input to them. You can give information. You can show them stuff lovingly and kindly, not with your finger, not with your being mean and hateful. That's not feedback. That's punishment. That's authoritarian cruelty. That's not God's way. That's not love. And they'll grow. They'll flourish. Now, unfortunately, not everybody is wise. A lot of us are foolish. And the foolish, interestingly enough, might be the smartest person on your team or the smartest person in your family. They might be brilliant. They might be the most talented. They might have the most experience, the most knowledge. They may know this book better than anybody. But they have one thing that they don't do that the wise person does. They're just the opposite. When they receive feedback, number, letter A in your notes, they reject the feedback and they adjust the feedback to fit them. There's a problem. You tell them the problem and they say, well, it's only a problem because you didn't do that and you didn't do that. And if you would have done this or you would have done that, if you would have given me more authority, if you would have given me more responsibility, if the marketing department would have taken care of X, Y, A, B, C, if she would have done her job, then I could have done my job. And all they do is deflect and put it all up on somebody else. They never, ever, if, 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 they never take it upon themselves. Or letter B, they get defensive, they make excuses, they blame everybody else, and they ex- Externalize. The problem is never in the room. The problem is always somebody else. Somebody else is wrong. Somebody else did this. Somebody else did that. Somebody else. And they never take full responsibility for their lives. Wise people practice what James teaches. Foolish people don't. And what does James teach? Wise people are slow to speak and quick to listen. Foolish people are quick to speak. Man, man, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry about the traffic, the traffic, the traffic. It was the traffic's fault. The traffic is the reason that I'm late. My, 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 my alarm didn't go off. I didn't sleep very well. It's the alarm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. It's the alarm. I got a phone call. I had to take the call. I couldn't get off the phone. It was the call. It was the phone. It was the phone. That's the reason. The, the fool, there's always somebody else or something else that's the problem. They never take responsibility for their actions. They're always putting it upon somebody else. Here's something else about the fool in Proverbs chapter 9. Down here in verse 8, we said, you rebuke the wise, they will love you. Look what happens when you correct or give feedback uh, to the uh, foolish person. In verse 7. It says, whoever corrects a mocker that is a fool, they invite insults. Look at verse 8. Do not rebuke mockers, that is the foolish, or they will hate you. 
in your notes. The fool giving feedback. They will hate you, they will get devices, and they will cause a lot of pain, the scriptures tell us. They're going to flip it, they're going to put it back on you. Who are you telling me to give to do this? You did that, you did that, you did this. You, they bring up everything from the past. They keep bringing up the stuff over and over and over again, and they put it back upon you, and they flip it and put everything back upon you. And it creates all this yelling, all this tension, all this stuff. You confront the wise person. The wise person, they love you when you give them good, honest, gentle, godly feedback. You confront the foolish person. There's pouting. There's yelling. There's defensiveness. There's uncontrollable anger. It's dredging up the past. It's never owning it. It's putting it all back upon the other person, never taking responsibility for their own lives, trying to deflect it upon somebody else. Now, let me stop for a second and ask, is anybody in the room feeling a little uncomfortable this morning? We're all foolish at times, aren't we? The Bible tells us that. We're all foolish. Let me kind of turn this on me as an example, to give an example how this can work in anybody's life. And this is just one way this can work. Years ago, I was a part of a group, kind of a networking leadership group. A couple other pastors, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a businessman, and uh, we would meet together and talk about leadership. Talk about how to get better, push each other, talk about issues and stuff like that. We talked about the world, news in the news. Eventually, this group became a Bible study. We actually started reading the Bible together. Can be a powerful thing, and then it went beyond just a study and a conversation and leadership. We actually started became a community, which meant we started talking about each other's lives, and we would share stuff, and they would share birthdays and celebrations and goals, and everybody disclosed stuff like that but me. And so one day after one of our huddles, the lawyer, who's a psychologist, a female psychologist, and also a pathway peep, she called me out after the huddle. She said, "You know what, Rick? Sometimes you really bug me." And I said, I do. How? So, well, you know, when you did what you just did, well, what did I just do? She said, well, you know, we were having a group right there, and we were talking about things that were going on in our life and celebrating each other, and we all knew something happened where you got this recognition honor thing up there at TCU, and you didn't say a word to any of us about it. You denied us the privilege. And, and I'll tell you something else that about bugs me. When we have prayer time, while I'm on it, and she, was, she got on the roll. And when we have prayer time, you never have anything to share. We all open up our lives and talk about we got this issue and we got that problem and that talent, and you never open up and share anything. And not only that, last Sunday after worship, I tried to tell you how much I really appreciate the message and just tell you thank you for the message. You would not even receive my compliment. You just kind of deflected, oh, no big deal, don't that, blah, blah. And you just kind of put it aside. And you know what? You really bug me because you deny me the joy of giving to you. And you do that to all of us like you think you can do it all by yourself and don't ever let us in because you got all your act together. And I said, really? I do that? She said, yeah, you do. I went, oh. I said, thank you for giving me that feedback. Thank you for telling me. And, uh, on the outside, I'm being nice and responsible. On the inside, I'm going, okay, she's a female. She had an abusive father. 
She hates men. She hates men. She really doesn't like pastors. She's transferring her own issues onto me. It's her problem. That's what I'm doing on the inside. Blew it off. It's her problem. A few days later, I'm participating in a funeral at another church. They asked me to read scripture. That's all I did was read the Bible. I read the scripture, services over. The son of the deceased came up to me, member of this church, and said, Rick, pastor, thank, thank you so much for reading the scripture and everything. It just meant so much for you to come over and do that. Then he reached into his pocket, into his jacket, to do the obligatory, take the little check out, you know, the, the envelope to honor and to give that to me. And instead of receiving that, I put my hand on his hand and his chest and said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, listen. Listen, I don't need that. The blessing was mine to be a part of that service. I don't, please, please don't, please don't, please don't. Just, just being a part of it was all, all I need. And all of a sudden, his face went from being grateful to being shocked, surprised, to a point of anger. And I thought, wow, what, what happened here? Well, I found out pretty quickly because by the time I got back to the church, he had called the church. And he told who answered the desk how mad he was at me. He was furious at me that I had insulted him and his mom. So I said, he's going to quit the church. So I called him. I said, man, what do, I'm sorry, what happened? He said, hey, listen. I'll tell you what happened. You really bugged me back there. You, you, hurt my, you dishonored my mom. You dishonored me. It's a tradition in our family that when a pastor does some presides at a service of any kind, that we gift the honorary, we give an honorary, and you denied me the privilege of giving you that gift. You wouldn't even accept my thank you. You dishonored me. I went, wow, I'm so sorry. I really didn't intend to do that. And so I received that feedback, and I'm thinking, huh, this is the same feedback, about the same, in just a short period of time. Uh, no, that's a coincidence. It's, <laughs> those people have issues. <laughs> you know? That's, now, what I didn't tell you was, before all this happened, I had just been spending time with God in an extended period of time asking God to show me flaws in my life I needed to root out. The very next day, the very next day, I come into the office. My personal assistant, Judy Gilbert, is in my office, and she's doing something for me. I say, Judy, 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 you don't need to do that. I can do it myself. She said, Rick, can I tell you something? She said, what? Sometimes you really bug me. <laughs> and I said, can I tell you how? <laughs> and I told her, because I finally figured it out. I need to step into the wise category and consider the feedback that I have been giving. That sometimes when I don't receive what someone wants to give, it's more about my ego and my pride. And I destroy their joy of just wanting to say, thank you. Now, church, you pick the issue. We all do it. Where somebody gives us feedback... And we hear it more than once, and we just blow it off. Marriages, thinking about getting married. There's a man by the name of John Gottman, and he's done some research, 40 years of research. And he has found that in a 15 conversation with people who want to get married or who are married, he can tell you if they're going to make it or not make it in the next seven years. In 15 minutes, he's listing for these four experiences. I'm just going to read them to you to make sure I don't 
confuse any of them. Here's the first one. The first one is criticism, contempt, stonewalling, or it's the silent tree, but not talking, just sitting there, not talking, or defensiveness. Foolish people get defensive. Foolish people get mad when someone gives them feedback, the scriptures say. And nice, responsible people, loving, godly people, think if they just keep talking, eventually they'll convince the foolish person to change. But the scripture says the foolish person is not listening. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? In the technical term, in psychiatry and mental health, for the person who keeps repeating the same thing over and over again, just getting louder or more clearly, you know what it's called? Nagging. That's literally the technical psychiatric term. It's called nagging. And nagging doesn't work with the fool. It doesn't work. And when you do it in your house, here's the only response to the fool, the strategy for the fool, right there in your notes. The strategy is limits and consequences. The strategy with the fool is limits and consequences. Talking doesn't work. You've got to give limits and consequences. It's the only way it works. Wise people will listen. Foolish people don't listen. Just stop talking. Just stop talking to them about the problem. Let me give you an example how this works. Let's say it's in your business. You can do it in marriage, but I'm going to give you an example in business. Your team. Hey, listen, Joe. I need to talk with you. Hey, you know this problem you and I have been talking about? You know, you know the problem? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to bring that up again? No, in fact, Joe, I'm not going to bring that problem up again. In fact, I'm through talking about that problem. We're going to change the conversation. I need to talk to you about my problem. See, I have a problem. And here's my problem. My problem is talking to you about problems doesn't work. So, I need you to give me some information. I need you to tell me something to help me with my problem. Because here's why. I cannot expose myself anymore. I can't expose the company anymore. I can't expose my, our marriage anymore. I can't expose the kids anymore. I cannot expose them to you refusing to adjust to the information I'm giving you. Everybody else is paying the consequences because you, for what, I don't know why, I'm not communicating well to you where you understand the importance of you changing this or growing here or stopping this or doing this or reaching this standard in your output, whatever it is. I'm not communicating well and I can't control you. All I can do is control me. So I need you to tell me how I can give you information, give you feedback to where it matters. Somebody needs to write that down. Somebody needs to write down that very statement in your business, in your family, with a coworker. I need to know how I can give you feedback to where it matters. And so they give it to you. Okay. I'm going to try that. Thank you for that. I need to know that because it's really important. Thank you. And I'm going to do that. Now, but what happens if I do that, but nothing changes? And they're going to say, oh, well, let's do this or do that. Okay, I'm going to do that too. Now listen, and before the conversation's over, you want to say something like this. Okay, 
I'm going to do all those things. And thank you for telling me because I really want to get better at communicating with you so you know how this is affecting me and everybody else and why this change is so important. But if there is no change, I need to tell you I, I'm, I'm through talking. I'm not going to talk about this anymore. There's going to be a change. I'm going to take that responsibility away from you and give it to here because I cannot expose myself or the team or everybody else, the family, to suffering because I am not taking care of my problem. That's not me doing my job of communicating and leading well. And so there we are. Total different conversation. Limits and consequences. And you're saying, well, what if I'm married and my marriage, I'm married to a fool? Same conversation. It's the same thing. The goal is to sit down as a godly, loving, gentle, truth-telling person and have a real conversation about something. In a way, to give feedback in a way about limits and consequences. That doesn't blow up and explode and everything. And so here's how I suggest you do it. Something like this. Hey, honey, I need to talk to you. Uh, one more time here. I need to talk to you. Remember that? Remember your anger? I've been, I've been bringing it up. You remember you're not showing up for dinner and working till 10 o'clock every night? Or You know the fact that you never, I've been telling you, you never touch me? You never have time for me? You name it. I need to know how I can communicate. I need some information. How can I communicate with you? Will you understand how what you're doing affects me? So maybe you will consider making a change. Would you please tell me what I can say to help you understand how I feel and how it's doing the family and the marriage? Can, can I, tell me how I can do that. And then they tell you. And then you say something like this. Okay. I'm going to try to do it. And if I need to change or grow, let me know. I want to make some changes too in me. I'm willing to make some changes. Could, could be me. Could be me. But here's what I want you to know, honey. I'm through talking. Because talking hasn't worked. Yelling hasn't worked. Pouting and screaming and punishing you hasn't worked. So if you come in and you just blow up in rage, I'm just going to leave. Not going to, I'm just going to leave. I, I'm, I'm going over to Tammy's to spend the night. If you come home drunk again, you know, okay, I'm just going to take the kids with them and go to mom's. That's what I'm doing. If you won't engage in the family, if you won't sit at the dinner table and talk, if you're going to shut down, if you won't have time for me to be with me, that's okay. I get it. I'm just going to go hang out with my friends. I'm just going to play more golf. I'm just going to go to the gym more. I'm just going to go take care of me because I can't depend. I, I'm just not going to continue the conversation. There's going to be limits and consequences. In church, it's a total different conversation because yelling and screaming and fighting and arguing and doing this all the time, it doesn't work. And the Bible's very clear, but we keep doing it, and we're foolish. Now, right now, there's some folks that are thinking, I have to crawl underneath this chair right now because I'm feeling pretty foolish. We all are, but there's hope for the fool. You know why? If we got rid of all the fools in our lives, we'd have no friends. You wouldn't be married. Because only fools get married, right? <laughs> fools fall in love, the song say. Right? But there's hope for the fool, but not by talking. By limits and consequences.
Here's the last thing. I know the time. We'll do this pretty quickly. The last one is evil. I'll just touch on it, and we're going to go to the table. Evil, uh, it's very different than all the others. Fools, they don't try to hurt anybody on purpose. Fools hurt people because they avoid responsibility of taking charge of their lives, and they blame everybody else. Evil people, they hurt people, but not by avoiding responsibility. Letter A, by design to inflict pain and bring destruction upon them. Love is to will the good in somebody's life. Evil is to will the bad. I want them to pay. I want them to hurt. I want, I want this company to burn. You didn't give me the promotion. You gave them. I'm going to take this company down. You're going to divorce me. I'll make sure everybody knows what kind of scamp you are. I'm going to take you for every penny, blah, 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 church. And that is nothing but evil in the heart that wants to take somebody down and make them pay and make them hurt. And that is not the truth of God's word for people who say they are followers of Jesus Christ. It's just not. The scriptures say this about the person who is evil. Do not envy the wicked, that is the evil, and do not desire their company, for their hearts plot violence. Their lips talk about making trouble. Talking doesn't work. Limiting consequences don't work. In your nose, here's the only thing that really works. You've got to go into protection mode with someone who is evil. Or lawyers, guns, and money, as they say. An old song by Devin Warren, who did Werewolves of London. Lawyers, guns, and money. Sometimes, I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth. You may not believe me. I have seen evil in the eyeballs. I've been with my dad in the criminally, for criminally insane I've looked in the eyes, I've seen it in my office. There's an evil that exists in this world. If you want to learn more about it, go read a little book called People of the Lie by Scott Peck. It's a great book, People of the Lie by Scott Peck. And if you're a nice, loving, responsible person, evil will take you to the cleaners. And the only thing you can do is go into protection mode and stop engaging. That's where the phrase came from, talk to my attorneys. You're protecting yourself. Just talk to my attorneys. You stop talking. Talk to my attorneys and just stop. Now here's the truth. All of us are all three of these at some times. There are sometimes you give me feedback, I go, awesome, thank you. I needed to know that. There are times you'll give me feedback, you'll push my button, and I'll get defensive, I'll get sarcastic, I'll lash out. There have been a few times in my life where I've been so mad, I just wanted somebody to pay and to hurt. I have felt that, and I'm guessing some of you have too. But the key that brings it all down we talked about last week that Chris brought up is the concept of forgiveness. Church, it is such a critical understanding in the Christian walk to know how to stop and breathe and forgive. And that doesn't mean ongoing relationship. You cannot have ongoing relationship without forgiveness. But you can forgive the evil person, the foolish person, and just go on with your life. And stop bringing it all up. And God understands that. Because God gave the world feedback through this book called the Bible and through his son Jesus. 
And the world said, no, I don't like that feedback, God. That's not who you are. And we're mad at people and we hurt people and harm people. We praise our fist up at God and all that sort of stuff. And we're all mad and bent out of shape and just all upset all the time. You know what God does? God is free. You know why God is free? Because on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're hurting each other, yelling at each other. Just forgive them. But that doesn't mean that you're in a relationship with Jesus. That's the beauty of the thing. Before, before you ever even knew him, not in relationship, he said, I forgive you. But if you want to be in relationship with Jesus, you receive that forgiveness, and there's restoration. Thank you for the feedback, God. <laughs> Thank you for the feedback. I'm going to readjust my life with you. I love what it says over Matthew chapter 18. Well, they asked Jesus, hey, how many times do I need to forgive? Seven times? Just forgive seven times and be done with it? And what did he say? Seven times 70. In other words, all the time. Let me tell you, married people, divorced people, if you don't figure this out, you're going to live in the pit of hell and turmoil and anger and frustration on and on in the future. You've got to learn to mimic what God does at the table and at the cross. We said, this is my body. I'm going to show you what real love is like. Even though we're not in a relationship, my body broken for you. I'm going to lay it down. He says, this is the cup of salvation. My blood spilled upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins. We're not even in relationship yet, but I'm forgiving your sins. And because of that, God is free. God's not walking around angry and judged and all upset. He's free. See, forgiveness is free. It sets you free from the past. Trust is earned, and trust is about the future. Trust is, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Thank you, God, for the feedback. I'm going to realign my life with what you say in your word. God, we thank you for this table that reminds us what relationship really is like how costly and how hard it is for the bread and for the cup so we who are broken we who are foolish we who even have an evil streaks within us God by your bread and by this cup nourish us to be more like you I invite you to take the bread of Christ behold the love of God broken for each take and eat Behold the love of God, the mercy of God. Take and drink. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of baptism. We thank you for the power of this table. And God, we thank you that you allow us, a dysfunctional people, foolish people, evil people, into your presence, God, to come here 
to this table and we declare God that we know we're reminded that all of our hope is in Jesus Christ his teaching his way his love his way of receiving and giving feedback teach us God teach us as we put more and more our hope in Jesus can we stand and sing and make that declaration on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.